text today is Hosea 9, 6 to 9. Um, that is on page 756 in the blue Bible in front of you. 756. Hosea 9, 6 to 9. For behold, they are going away from destruction, but Egypt shall gather them, Memphis shall bury them, nettles shall possess their precious things of silver, thorns shall be in their tents. The days of punishment have come, the days of recompense have come, Israel shall know it. The prophet is a fool, the man of the spirit is mad because of your great iniquity and great hatred. The prophet is the watchman of Ephraim with my God, yet a fowler's snare is on all his ways, and hatred in the house of his God. They have deeply corrupted themselves, as in the days of Gibeah. He will remember their iniquity. He will punish their sins. Thanks, babe. Good to be able to Oh, there we go. Not sure what I did. Uh, if you don't know me, my name is Daniel, and that was my wife, Kate, and uh, I'm your pastoral resident. Uh, it's been such a joy to share uh, this, these last couple months with you. Um, it, it really is, is so, has been so sweet to get to know you and, and now to, to get to serve you in this way. Opening the Word of God uh, is, is our joy. We're so excited to see what God has ahead for us at this church. So would you pray with me as we get started? Father, come now and show us your son Jesus who is the true, wise leader, beautiful king. We need you. I need you, Lord. I'm, I'm callous to these truths and desperate for you right now. Would you speak through me? We've just sang these words, Spirit of the living God, come and fall fresh. We want, we want more of you. We want to hear from you. So would you speak through me right now, Lord Jesus? You are the leader here, and we submit to your word. I submit to your word. Would you teach us now and change us? Let us not leave this building the same people, but trusting more and more in you and running after you, Jesus, our leader, our king, our Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name. Everybody said amen. So tonight's sermon from Hosea is on the topic of leadership. Leadership. Uh, leadership is weaved into the fabric of humanity. Guys, whether you know it or not, here I go saying guys. <laughs> um, every week, every time I preach, I'm, I'm trying to not use the word guys, but church or something like that. So you guys can like throw up your hand or do something, I don't know, <laughs> say no, not that. <laughs> but um, we, uh, we all lead and are led in some respect. All of us. I'm not saying that every single one of you are natural leaders, but that in some way you lead. Um, you lead your kids, your spouse, uh, in your workplace, all to varying degrees, but we are all leaders. Uh, even in how you ask questions to someone in, in, your, in your accountability groups. This is a, this is a form of leading. Listening well is a form of, of leading. 
and you were also led, church. Uh, you're also led. You're led broadly by our, our culture. Far more than we realize, we have voices and philosophies that we're immersed in that lead us. And more specifically, we're led by individuals, both people that we um, make our leaders or, or we submit to, and those like uh, our president. And, and uh, you know, universal leaders, local leaders, pastors of the church, we are led to varying degrees. And this is really important for me to establish, I think, because um, leadership is so important for our thriving, is it not? Leadership, how, how we're led, how, how a leader is leading a group determines very much how that institution does, whether it be marriage or your parenting or, or your workplace. And all of us, if we were to just take a minute, we could probably uh, uh, amass a list of really good leaders who have uh, helped us become better versions of ourselves and be more fruitful. Maybe in our workplace, you, you, you come out and you're like, man, like, I accomplished a lot today. Or we might also be able to uh, describe or, or come up with a list of leaders who maybe are not the ones that we want to emulate, right? And, and it's easy to do this. Uh, and, and unfortunately, I think if we were to, to make this list of failing leaders, I think even some of us could be in that list. All of us have fallen short to some degree in our leadership capacities. This, this topic of leadership is actually extremely painful for some of us. Leadership is supposed to be, especially spiritual leaders, uh, is supposed to be an empowering, serving sort of role, especially, you know, parents, fathers. And sadly, some of us have experienced that those who we've put our trust in have, have turned our world upside down with their failure in leadership. I know some of your stories. I've heard some of your stories. And I know that this is so painful for you. And God knows that. What, what, what is it like for you to trust a leader? Is that, is that hard for you? Even more, I want to ask the question, is it hard for you to trust God based on the leaders that have led you? Today's sermon is entitled, The Truly Wise Leader. And we're going to see from Hosea that leadership has a massively important role in both Israel's well-being and, guys, it has application for us. Church has application for us. What kind of leader is needed for a people to prosper? Here's where I'm going today. There's three main points. Uh, well, there's, there's a main point that I want to get to, but I'm going to, you know, I want to try to answer that question, what kind of leader is needed for people to prosper? But we're going we're gonna to hit it in three, three points from verses 6 and 7. We're going to see that foolish leaders ignore sin, but wise leaders keep watch. In ver, uh, verse 8 and point 2, we're going to see that leaders watch on behalf of God. 
They're servants of God. And in point three, we're going to see that Jesus is the true wise leader. All right, let's jump in. Uh, point number one, verses six and seven, foolish leaders ignore sin, but wise leaders keep watch. All right, I'm going to read that again. My wife did it well. I'm going to do it again. Verse six, for behold, they are going away from destruction, but Egypt shall gather them. Memphis shall bury them. Nettles shall possess their precious things of silver. Thorns shall be in their tents. The days of punishment have come. The days of recompense have come. Israel shall know it. This is so strange. This starts out saying that Israel thinks that they're going away from destruction. There's this illusion of, of safety. We learned last week that they've been making the sacrifices, performing many of the rituals uh, of the law. They, they think that they're cool with God, but ultimately they've forsaken their maker, Yahweh, their bridegroom, and punishment is surely coming on them. Despite the judgment, Israel thinks they're safe. They're, they're running away from it. Why? What, what is it that would make them think that they're safe when Hosea continues to say, judgment is coming on you, judgment is coming on you. Hosea wasn't the only voice that they were hearing, brothers and sisters. They had other leaders that Hosea identifies who were giving a message of hope. The priests and prophets who were appointed to instruct the people of Israel in the law and keep them on track actually were not doing their jobs. They were ignoring their sin. Let's look at verse 7. It says, the prophet is a fool. The prophet is a fool. The man of the spirit is mad because of your great iniquity and great hatred. This is kind of a, an odd verse. It's, it's a little bit hard to understand what it's saying. And, and I think that the question needs to be answered. Who is actually at fault in this text? Is it the people or the prophet? You guys see that? It could go both ways. Translators actually take it two different ways. Uh, one, they see it as, uh, is it the people driving the prophets mad with their sin and failure to listen? So have they, have they called them fool, fool, taunting them, uh, calling them mad? Has it, has it driven them mad because of their, their sin and their rejection of truth? In other words, is, is Israel's sin... Uh, or is, there, is, the, is the prophet's madness caused by their sin? Or is it, is it that the prophet is a fool, actually, and that Israel's sin is the grounding statement of that foolishness? In other words, I'm going to say it two different ways again. The, the people, number one, the people rejected the message of true prophets like Hosea. Or number two, the foolishness of the false prophets is made clear by the fact that Israel is about to be exiled for their wickedness. And they seem to be hearing a message of peace and safety. Now, I don't know about you guys, but when I read scripture and I... Uh, read commentators, and I'm hoping to get an answer. I, it's kind of frustrating when they kind of go two directions, and it's like, ah, I can't really see what is, the, what is the right way here. But as I was wrestling with the text this week, I, I, 
I was really excited when I, when I saw that there's some important lessons in both interpretations. And I, and I want to kind of explore both sides uh, of that uh, argument. Lesson number one, when wise leaders are considered fools for warning against sin, know that judgment is coming. Judgment is near. Verse 8 describes the role of the prophet in Israel. Read it with me. The prophet is the watchman of Ephraim with my God. Yet a fowler's snare is on all his ways and hatred in the house of his God. You guys see, this, this seems to be a positive description of the prophet. They're called watchmen with God. They're the protectors of Israel for God. This, this term watchman is, it's, it's a shepherding term. There's a few different ways that it's used in scripture, but one of them is, is that the, the shepherds of the sheep would watch over the sheep and make sure that predators wouldn't come and destroy them. They were, they were watchmen. Uh, also, cities would, would put men, especially at night, over the city in the citadels and the towers to, to look out and look for invaders. And, and they, you know, these, these watchmen had an important job. It was the protection of the people. So when Israel, Israel's prophets are compared to watchmen, it's saying, prophets, you are with God watching over my people. You are supposed to be protectors of the sheep. You're supposed to be protectors from invaders, from, from sin, from, from lies. But it says that there's hatred in the house of God and there's these traps set up for the true prophet that keep them from doing their job. This, this word fowler's snare, it's, it's basically saying everything that the prophet is doing to try to watch over Israel, they're being met on all sides with traps from the people and hatred in the house of God. There's nothing that they, they can't do their job. This word hatred is, is interesting. It's not been used yet in, in Hosea. And I think it's important that we, we focus in on, on the meaning there. What is hatred describing? Well, let, let's look to Proverbs for an answer. If you look at Proverbs 8, verse 13, I'm not, I don't think I got a slide for it, but it says this, To fear the Lord is to hate evil. To fear the Lord is to hate evil. And then it goes into this first person, the, the wisdom personified voice in chapter 8. It says, I hate pride and arrogance, evil behavior and perverse speech. If we look back at the beginning of Proverbs, we'd, we'd hear similar terms. The fear of the Lord is the what? Beginning of wisdom, that's right. So we hear these, these, uh, these two descriptions of what it is to fear the Lord. Now, in chapter 8, added to, uh, added to the description is hating evil. Hating evil. Now, how, how does that connect to wisdom? Well, God hates evil. He hates prideful and arrogant behavior and speech. And fearing God, therefore, is to hate what he hates. 
If we hate what he hates, if we fear the Lord by hating what he hates, we have become wise. But to love sin, it lacks fear of God and is thus hatred towards God. God hates sin because it's rebellion against him. This is what Israel is described as this is, this is what's characterizing Israel, is hatred towards God and his true prophets. Hatred. To make the point even clear, clearer, Israel's corruption is compared to the Gibeah episode in Judges 19. Are you familiar with that passage? It's, it's really quite horrifying. It's, it's similar to the Sodom and Gomorrah situation where the, the men of the city come to the doors of the house and they say, send out the men that we can sleep with them. Instead of the, the man being sent out, the visitor whom, whom is being housed and protected, they send out a concubine who is killed and abused. There's disgusting lust in this story. Sexual perversion, murder, disregard for humans and the Lord. And this is how Israel is being characterized hatred corruption that looks just like this this is disgusting and yet they're calling the prophet who's warning them that judgment is coming they're calling him a fool one commentator reminds us that apart from divine restraint there are no limits there are no limits on where sin will take us Israel's sin is bad. They're calling the prophets of God like Hosea fools. And Yahweh actually calls them the wise ones. Yahweh, Yahweh calls the one who hates evil wise, and they're calling what God hates good. The true prophets of God are actually wise for warning against Israel's sin. When people call wise leaders fools, they're setting themselves against God and towards destruction. Lesson number two. Let's, let's look, look at the other uh, perspective. Lesson number two. A foolish leader's selfishness will be shown for what it is. A foolish leader's selfishness will be shown for what it is. Rather than warning Israel... Rather than warning Israel of the covenant curses and promise that were promised to Israel for breaking the vows made to Yahweh, the priests and the prophets of Israel actually encouraged it. Chapter four, I preached a, a month or two ago on on leadership well, on, on the knowledge of God, and this gives a, a striking example of their selfishness. Chapter four, verse eight says, They feed on the sin of my people. This is referring to the priests and the prophet. They're greedy for their iniquity. You see this? The selfishness. The prophets of Israel are greedily leading the people into sin. It's actually somehow causing them to gain when the people sin, when they go after the, the gods of the nations. 
this is not just true of the spiritual leaders, but it is also true of the, the princes. Verse 15 of, of chapter 9 says that all the princes are rebels. Do you guys see this? There's leadership here. It's princes and, and false prophets together. They're, they're in, the prophets are informing the, the leaders to go after the gods of the nations. And what's happening is that all the people are following. All the people are following. When the leaders of Israel are, sur are surrounding themselves with the false prophets, they go astray and they take all of them, with the entire nation with them. And this, this theme runs through scripture. Aaron, with the calf, leads the entire people astray. We see it with Ahab and the prophets of Baal. When you read the history of Israel, actually you will rarely, if ever, see a faithful people with a faithless ruler over it. Always a, a faithless king that fails to rid the, the nation of idols. People were following their leaders. And the sins of the people are showing that these prophets are false. They're not warning people of the judgment coming on them. Ultimately, it's because of their selfish desires. They would rather gain the momentary pleasure of being in good standing with the gods, the nations, gaining their protection, gaining their prosperity, than to face the shame of calling people out in their sin. But just when Israel thought they were safe, we look back at verse 6. It says that they will be gathered by Egypt and buried there. While they run after the Egyptian and Assyrians for protection and provision, they're not escaping destruction, but they're actually running into it. And this is crazy. It's, it's ironic because Egypt was once Israel's oppressor. <laughs> they were the slave owner. God delivered them. And what's happening is they're running right back to their slave owners. In running after the nations, they're running back into slavery. They're losing all, their, all they've gained. One commentator says this, quote, and th This entire text can be taken to be an undoing of the exodus. And thus, an erasing of Israel's redemptive history. Thorns will now fill their tents. Thorns in scripture are never a good sign, guys. When Adam and, and Eve were, were cursed for their sin, Adam is told that his work will produce thorn and thistle. Jesus says that the thorns are choking out the good fruit in his parable of the, the sower in the soil. All through scripture, the prophets use this language to describe the destruction that's coming on the people. These are all warnings that this promise of safety, this idea that Israel is good, though they are as disgusting as the Gibeah incident, though they are as corrupt as this, though they've, they've said that the prophet, the true prophet is the fool and the false prophet is, is the prophet of God, they think that they're, they're fine with God. And they're headed for destruction. Punishment has come, verse 7 says. There is no changing it. The days of recompense have come. This word recompense is describing what is owed for, for evil. What is 
owed for, for the loss or harm that they've, that they've done against God. They will pay for the damages that they've caused. They've defamed the name of God. They've defamed the name of Yahweh in the sight of the nations. And the day of recompense will come. And then they will see the foolishness of their sin. And the selfishness of their leaders. Point two. Wise leaders know who they serve. Wise leaders serve God. They know that they're serving on behalf of God. They keep a close watch because they're watching on God's behalf. Let's look at Ezekiel chapter 3. If you would just turn in your Bible there to me, with, with me. Chapter 3 of Ezekiel, verse 17. Here God is describing the role of a prophet. And we, we get to see a little bit more of the, the meat of what... It means to be a watchman over Israel in this passage. Chapter 3 of Ezekiel, starting in verse 17. It says, Son of man, I have made you a watchman for the people of Israel. So hear the word I speak and give them warning from me. When I say to a wicked person, you will surely die, and you do not warn them or speak out to dissuade them from their evil ways in order to save their life, that wicked person will die for their sins, and I will hold you accountable for their blood. But if you do warn the wicked person, you will have saved yourself. Here Yahweh instructs Ezekiel of his task as watchman. What he's called to do is to warn and dissuade the people away from sin, especially when people are in sin and judgment is coming on them. He says, this is your job. If I've given you, given you a word, speak it to them. And if you don't, if you don't, their blood is on your head. But if you do, if you do, you give them an opportunity to be saved and you save yourself. This is a, a weighty task, isn't it? And what I find striking here is that Yahweh holds up the same level of weight when, when you disobey God, when He's commanded you not to do something and you disobey Him, it's just as weighty as when He has said to do something and you've not done it. Disobedience to God's commands to not do something are just as weighty as disobedience to God's commands to do something. It's sins of commission and omission. Ezekiel is called to warn, and if he fails to warn, blood is on his own head. Ezekiel and, and the wise leaders of, of Israel, therefore, when they warn the people, what they are doing is they're actually considering God's judgment, their role as God's watchmen more important more important than the, the the prosperity more important than the acceptance that they might receive from the people they're willing to take shame on their own heads because they know that in the end the judgment that will come on them for failing to obey God will be worse than whatever wrath the people have for them so these foolish 
prophets. They're loved by their listeners for a time, but soon they go down to hell with all their followers. If there's one thing that Scripture is clear about, is, it's this, that there, <laughs> there is not one perfect leader other than Jesus. All leaders fall short, failing to do what they know they should do, failing to do what they know they shouldn't do. Aaron and Moses, Eli and his sons, Isaiah, called man of unclean lips, David, an adulterer and murderer, Solomon, an idolater, Jeremiah, a sinner in his youth. None of the prophets, none of the priests, none of the kings ever were perfect before God. The, the most righteous of us here, the most righteous that have lived on this earth, do not compare, cannot stand before the holy and just God. We've all fallen short. So what are we to do? We're talking about leadership. We're talking about the need to follow good leaders, how, how vital this is for, for institutions, human institutions to thrive. So what are we to do? We need, we need a good leader, right? We need a leader who will cause us to prosper. The question still stands, who is the leader that is going to cause, what kind of leader is, is going to help us to prosper? This leads me to the third point. Jesus is the truly wise leader. I just want to show you from Scripture how Jesus is described as a leader. Jesus is the true prophet, brothers and sisters. Listen to, listen to Acts 3, 22 to 26. As Peter explains that Jesus is the fulfillment of all the prophets, it says this, For Moses said, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your own people. You must listen to everything he tells you. Anyone who does not listen to him will be completely cut off from their people. It goes on, Indeed, beginning with Samuel and all the prophets who have spoken have foretold of these days. When God raised up his servant, he sent him first to bless you by turning each of you from your wicked ways. Guys, Jesus, church, Jesus is the prophet that Moses prophesied about, whom God would put his words in his mouth, and everyone is called to listen to him. He is the true prophet, and he never failed to warn people of their sin. He never failed. To his own demise, he was faithful to turn even the most powerful religious leaders in Israel towards God, to expose their sin. Number two, Jesus is the faithful high priest. Hebrews 2 says, Therefore he had, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God, to make propitiation for the sins of the people. Brothers and sisters, Jesus is the great high priest who became like you in every respect. He became like his brothers so that we could be cleansed from sin and be brought to God. Jesus was both the pure lamb, the sacrifice, and also the priest who presented himself to God for us. Amen? He is this type of leader. I hope you're seeing the servant nature of our leader, Jesus. He serves in the face of opposition. He tells us when we're wrong and leads us to the truth. He is the faithful high priest who atones for our sins. 
to his own shame and demise. Number three, Jesus is this humble servant leader. It says, for even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Mark 10, 45. Number four, Jesus is wisdom personified. In Colossians, Jesus is said to have all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge in him. This is God in whom all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. This is, this is a man in whom all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And Jesus, in him is this wisdom. This wisdom that we see in Proverbs chapter 8 that perfectly fears God, that perfectly hates evil, that perfectly calls all the simple to come from their, their evil ways to God to find life. This is Jesus who is wisdom personified. Number five, Jesus is the good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep. Chapter 10 of, of John says, all who came before me are thieves and robbers. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy, but I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. This is Jesus talking. He says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Jesus is the good shepherd who lays, lays down his life for you, brother and sister. He lays down his life for you. All who came before were robbers and thieves. There's corruption in all, but Jesus he never fails to protect, but even saves us from our sin by laying down his life for us. He is the ultimate watchman, church. This picture of the prophet as a watchman in the Old Testament, Jesus is the perfect watchman. Hear this. This is perhaps the most important thing for you to catch in this sermon. Even though Jesus is the faithful watchman, he no longer has our blood on his hands. He's warned every one of us. All of you have gone astray. Every single one of you, before the holy God, Jesus shows us we're lacking. We fall short of God's glory. All of us have sinned. Even though he's warned us, and he could, like Pilate, have washed his hands and said, my I have nothing to do with your blood. It's on you. He still owned it. He took your blood guilt on himself. This is the gospel of Jesus. This is the type of leader that we need. A servant who lays down his life for us. A servant who not only warns us, but recognizes our need that none of us can save ourselves. There's no leader who is able to redeem. And he steps in and provides that for us. His blood was shed so that ours didn't have to be. Amen? Every one of us have spurned his warnings and called even him a fool. How many times have, has somebody brought to you a rebuke for your sin, and we just are so quick to try to justify or run. How many times has the Holy Spirit convicted us of our sin, and we play it off as though, oh, that's, that's ridiculous. I'm not, that's not God speaking. We justify our sin over and over, ultimately calling Jesus a fool as he's calling us to life. 
The answer to the question, what kind of leader will cause a people to prosper, is, is this leader. Jesus. <laughs> Jesus is the truly wise leader who lays down his life for the sheep. Uh, foolish leaders, excuse, let me say that again, foolish leaders, they're going to lead selfishly every time. But Jesus is the truly wise leader who lays down his life for the sheep. How do, we, how do we apply this to ourselves? I have a few, few things. Some of you have had a very bad view of God up to this point because of those who have taken advantage of you. Maybe it's your parents or other family members. Maybe it's church leaders employers this is not God this is not God if you're looking to God and you see the face of your offenders oh he wants to heal you today he wants to replace that vision the, the, that face with the face of Jesus he wants you to see Jesus on the cross for you serving you taking your sin on. This is the type of leader that God is. This is the type of leader that calls you to follow him today. This is our King Jesus. If you want to know what God's leadership is like, look to Jesus. He has never been selfish in his leadership, but has only come to serve. Amen? When he had all the authority of God, and he knew it. What did he do? He took a towel and he wrapped it around his waist and he got on his knees and he washed his disciples' feet. This is, this is God's posture towards you, brothers and sisters. Oh, church, Jesus is the leader you want to follow. He is your model. Maybe some of you are still asking the question, but if if. God is my leader. How, how can he be a good God if he allowed these things to come on my life? How can he let this suffering come on me? Isn't he supposed to be my shepherd leading me through all these things? Yes, he's sovereign over all your circumstances, but he is not to blame. He is not to blame for the evil that has come on you. Satan is behind the selfish moves of your offenders. No, God is not helpless and weak as though he can't hold Satan back. But he, he is God. And in this sin-cursed world of death and pain, he has power to say, this far and no more. I wish I could spend a long time here because this is so important for us and our ability to trust God, isn't it? What we believe about God's role in, in suffering, this problem of evil. Maybe I'll, I'll spend some time on a midweek podcast here, but what I need you to hear is God is not responsible for the evil done to you. He is not culpable. He is not to blame. Look to Jesus. This is the God who loves you. This is the God who serves you. We can trust God to lead us even if we've been failed before. I've heard Mormons say, if my faith is wrong, 
I could never follow any other religion. I could never enter into any other faith. Maybe you feel that way today. Maybe you have experienced some wrong from leaders and and it feels impossible to want to continue to run after or or to to walk into the Christian faith and, and follow leaders like us to be a part of a church because you feel like I've been misled before. How can I how can I be sure that I'm not going to be misled again? Your leaders will fail you, I assure you that. We will fail you as pastors. Parents, you're going to fail your kids. Spouses, you will fail each other in your leadership. People will fail you. This does not negate the call for us to follow Jesus and and the call to follow the leaders that he has appointed to oversee our souls. Inasmuch as people are, the the leaders you are following are following Jesus, you are called to follow these leaders. Jesus is the good shepherd who appointed leaders over his flock. And I want to just say, if, if, if you have leaders who are calling you, pointing you to Jesus, they're, they're teaching from the word and, and warning you against the, the deceitfulness of sin. If you have leaders who are preaching the gospel to you, that are seeking his face in humility, you can be sure that these leaders are worthy of following. Inasmuch as a leader is following Jesus and looks like Jesus, like the servant leader that I've just described, we are called to follow them. But brothers and sisters, if, if, there are, if there are voices, if there are leaders who are sugarcoating sin, who are ignoring sin, this is even true of our church, so many voices are ignoring sin, they're not being led by Jesus. There's selfishness in their message. Okay, number two application point. If you are trusting in Jesus, this is, uh, this is an interesting point, but we are both sheep and shepherd. Have you ever thought about that before? You are both a sheep and a shepherd. Let me explain. Paul spoke to the elders of Ephesus before parting from them, and, and he, he said this, therefore I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all. Remind you of Ezekiel. For I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. This is what leaders are called to do. They don't shrink from preaching God's word to you as it is. He didn't shrink. But he says to the the leaders, pay very careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Do you see that? The Holy Spirit has appointed overseers of the church of God to care for the church of God it says which he obtained with his own blood Jesus the perfect servant leader has appointed leaders to serve the church and as sheep we submit to God by submitting to these elders we submit to Christ who is our chief shepherd by submitting to his under-shepherds, those who, whom he has appointed. Our leadership as, as pastors of this church is not ultimate, brothers and sisters. We, we submit to the king, to the servant king. 
And as much, in as much as you see us following Jesus, we call you to come and imitate us as we follow Christ. But if you see us wandering, straying from this truth, it is actually, it's actually commanded us to keep us accountable. The word tells us that you have the responsibility, sheep, to keep us accountable to, to this word. Are we being faithful? Another word on, on you as a sheep. For the time is coming, Second Timothy says, for the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. Who are you listening to today? Who are, who are your favorite pastors? Who are, who are your favorite politicians? Who, who do you like to learn from? Who are your teachers, your leaders? I want to challenge you. If they are, if they are not holding to this word humbly, if we are not holding to this word hum, humbly and, and submitting under it daily, do not listen to us. Do not follow them. I beg of you. That, that is a, a foolish path. It's, it's all over right now. There are church leaders all over this city who are calling things that God hates good. Redefining marriage, redefining gender. God, they, they don't understand what they're doing, how foolish this is in giving people what they want to hear, becoming more and more like the, the culture to gain selfishly. Keep us accountable, would you, and pray for us because, brothers and sisters, your leaders come under spiritual attack. When the Shepherd is struck, oftentimes the, the, the sheep fall, right? We need your prayers. We would just ask for your prayers daily. Pray for the shepherds of this flock. Pray for the shepherds if you're a part of a different church. Pray for leaders who lead the church of God. For the sake of Christ's name. We have a pastoral covenant as a part of our, our role here and we we are held accountable to serve you like Christ to be servant leaders and part of your covenant as members if you're a member of this church is like I said to hold us accountable to this covenant to hold us accountable to the word of God we need your prayer your shepherds do you know that if you're in Christ guys you're a shepherd um, there's not that explicit language in, in Scripture, but what, what it's actually, what you're called is a priest. It's this, this same sort of image, and what, what he, or First Peter says is that you're a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. We are appointed priests of God in Christ who proclaim God's goodness to one another. And not only that, we keep watch over each other's souls. Hebrews says that we're called to exhort one another daily, as long as it's called today, that we might not fall into the deceitfulness of sin. 
Christian, you're a priest. Every single one of you, a part of this church, we have desperate need for you. Every single one of us. We need each other. This is why we have structures in our church, DNA groups, accountability groups that we share and confess our sin. This is our missional community. We're coming together often, our Sunday gatherings. This is our space where we can be honest with each other, call each other to follow Jesus, the true servant leader. We do this in the power of the Spirit. Maybe you're here today and you fit into the category with so many other people who, fail, who, who can't seem to believe Christianity. They, they don't want to follow. And, and the primary reason is because they've seen hypocrisy in the church. They've seen spiritual leadership failure and they've said, I don't want anything to do with it. Jesus is compelling. The, the idea of it all is compelling, but I could never be a part of that church. It's corrupt. Perhaps you're in that category. And I, I just want to say to you, if, if this is you, let me remind you that you're in the right place. <laughs> you are amongst some very needy and unfaithful people. <laughs> church, isn't that right? We are needy before the cross, every single one of us. We're not here as those who, who see ourselves as perfect individuals, but we actually submit ourselves at the foot of the cross week in and week out. We come to the table not because we deserve it. We're part of this family only because Jesus has purchased our life. He has taken the punishment that we deserve on himself. We come today, we're in this room to worship our king and to submit to him, to submit to him. And we would just call you today, if you're not in Christ, come and follow Jesus. If you've looked at the, the spiritual leader and you've said, no, I don't want anything to do with that. Oh, would you please know that Jesus is the perfect and wise leader? He calls you to follow him. He calls you to follow him. In conclusion, can you guys imagine, church, if, if we, if we, the church, looked, if our leaders, if we all together led like Jesus? What if, what if we were not afraid to, to bring our offenses to one another? We boldly challenged each other's sin and love. We kept one another accountable. accountable. We, we walked out these structures, DNA, missional community, and loved each other daily, pointing one another daily to Jesus. What would our church look like? What would our world look like? What would marriage look like? We could, we could walk out this thought, thought experiment in, in every institution, and if we as leaders, both sheep and shepherds, looked like Jesus' leadership, who constantly is serving, laying himself down for us over and over again, our world would be a very different place. This is what Jesus secured in his life, death, and resurrection. The kingdom of God has come in Christ Jesus. And church, this is what we're supposed to look like. We're supposed to look like the kingdom of God. Though the enemy and the devil, the, the world, the flesh, and the devil are, are constantly bombarding us right now. That's true. The kingdom of God, this, this church, which is an outpost of the kingdom of God, is a place where you can take refuge in Jesus 
hear the gospel that though you have failed as a leader, though all else fail, Jesus will not fail. And there's refuge in him if you have failed yourself. On that day, every false leader's lies will be exposed. Satan's leaders will be exposed. The schemes of the world that have led so many of us astray, it will be exposed as the foolishness that it, that it is, and Jesus' true and wise leadership will be exalted on that day. Watchmen were on greatest alert at night. They were eager for the break of day. I can just imagine it. It's, it's really awful to stay up all night. Have you guys, any of you work night shifts? Uh, maybe, maybe some of you are like, I like staying up all night <laughs> with my friends. It's different, though, when you don't have electricity kind of lighting up the, the sky. These people were, were standing there waiting for the break of day. Brothers and sisters, Christ, our watchman, he broke into our night. He shone light into our night so that we don't have to fear the enemy, even though his uh, temptations are surrounding us today. world's messages are surrounding us. We don't have to fear, even in the face of death. As we await the dawn of the new creation. Soon, a new day, brothers and sisters. Soon, a new day. Jesus is coming back. Light will finally pierce every bit of darkness. Hope in him, church. Hope in him. This is the call. Follow him. He is the true and wise leader. Let's pray. God, thank you. I pray for healing for those who are hurting. I pray, God, right now in these, these next few minutes that we would feel your great love for us, that we would cling to you as the true and wise leader, the good shepherd of our souls. Heal us, Lord, from the brokenness that we ourselves the, the, the pain that we ourselves have caused and that we have experienced from, from others. Have mercy on us, we pray in Jesus' name.